Hey everybody, welcome back to Mavericks and Misfits. Uh, today I'm going to be wrapping up what uh, was actually an unintentional uh, three-part podcast series on uh, the concept and the topic of love in the kingdom. And um, really, I just thought I would do one episode on it a few weeks ago, and then it just, it's too big. It's too big of a topic. It's really too big just for three podcast episodes. But um, after I get out of my spirit, what I want to get out of my spirit today and let it rest with you, I feel like I'm probably done. Who knows? Maybe by the end of today's episode, I'll feel like doing a part four, but my intention is to be done with it today. If you're a first time listener, I want to welcome you. My name is Jeff Lyle. Don't know how you stumbled onto Mavericks and Misfits, but I'm glad that you did. And uh, if you like what you hear, if you think that um, it's beneficial to you and it could be beneficial to others, I want to encourage all of you who listen to help me. That's the only thing I ever ask from you guys is to give us a rating and a review wherever you listen, whether it's iTunes or Spotify or Google Podcast, wherever you uh, listen, give us a rating and a review. That does help us connect to more people. And I say it every time. I don't know how that works, but uh, we, we have people that do this kind of stuff for us on the technical end. And they say, make sure you tell them to rate and review. So I'm doing my part. And I hope that you'll do that. It takes probably three minutes of your time and it can help us to connect with more people. So what about this issue of uh, love? Um, did you listen to the last two podcasts? Because if you didn't, I would encourage you to press pause on this one and go back and listen to the last two episodes. Just invest an hour of your time between those two episodes and uh, listen to it. But today I'm, I'm really thinking about on this issue of uh, doubting the love of God. Um, I think theologically, most people would sign off on the reality that God is a God of love and that he loves people. At least most people who believe in God, the God of the Bible would sign off that he is a God of love. And although I'm, I'm sad to report that the church is a little confused about what God's love is and what God lo God's love isn't, um, the Bible is pretty clear on um, giving you a comprehensive understanding of what it means to be loved by God. His love is consistent with his nature. His love is not independent from his holiness. So in other words, it's not the fake love that the world puts forth today that says in order to love people, we have to always make them feel awesome about themselves. And if you don't make me feel awesome about myself, then you are not loving me. You're in fact hating me because you made me experience negative emotion about myself and that snowflakey, unbiblical, demonic version of love is not what we're talking about on this podcast. And so if you're looking for that, wrong podcast, wrong podcaster, wrong genre. So for those of you who are committed to growing deeper in your understanding and your participation in the love of God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I want to talk a little bit more about that today. So what does it mean to recognize and receive God's love? What does it mean... Not to allow life, circumstances, or anything to undermine your view of God's love for you. How do we do that? How do we insulate and protect our hearts, our minds, our spirits, so that we never fall prey to that um, pretty frequent temptation that comes from Satan in the demonic realm to cause people to doubt the heart of God towards them? Um, I don't want a theology that tells me God is love and then live as if that love doesn't um, apply to me. I, I don't want to, I don't want to dictate the reality of God's love based on how I feel in any given season. In other words, I'm not, I'm not evaluating God's love through the lens of what I'm feeling or what's happening to me. 
I've actually learned by his grace over the years to evaluate what I'm feeling and what's happening to me through the lens of God's love and God's truth. And so I like going every now and then to Romans chapter eight, because in Romans chapter eight, we've got these verses that you'll recognize immediately. I'm only going to read a few of them, Um, but they're found towards the latter uh, part of Romans chapter eight. And Paul, the apostle asks a question. And the question is this in Romans 8, 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? It's a valid question. It's a question that I think Christians have wrestled with since the days of Paul. Paul's not just asking some random question in his letter to the Romans. He's actually addressing probably something that had come up in his interactions with the leaders of that church and things he had heard. And he's writing to encourage them. And Romans 8 is a very encouraging chapter. And in it, he's building a case for the goodness of God. And at the end of it, he asks the question, and the, and the, the tone of it is, who then could ever separate us from God's love to us in Christ? And then he asks a theoretical question. He says, can tribulation or distress or persecution, can famine or nakedness or danger or sword separate us from the love of Christ? And then in verse 37, he answers his questions. He says, no, no, tribulation can't separate us from the love of Christ. Distress can't separate us from the love of Christ. Persecution can't separate us from the love of Christ. Famine and nakedness, which just means lack or poverty, cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Danger or sword, which, you know, describes upheavals and cataclysms and chaos and danger and violence. Can that separate us? And he just answers the question. Holy Spirit said, here's the answer, Paul. Put it in your letter. No, none of those things diminish the love of God for his children. He says, no, actually, verse 37 of Romans 8, and all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he adds his own commentary. Paul says in verse 38, I am certain that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, that's describing fallen angels and principalities and rulers in the demonic realm. So death nor life, normal life stuff, that can't separate you from the love of God. Demonic ranking angels, demons, cannot separate you from the love of Christ. He goes on to say, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, you're going to need to do something with this, this statement. I mean, this is like mega statements. These are not hard to understand what he's saying, he, he's making it very plain. It's very clear what he's saying. He's saying there is nothing that can touch you, nothing that can happen on the inside of you, nothing that can happen on the outside of you that will in any way threaten to dilute, diminish, or remove the love of God Almighty from you. It's not going to go anywhere. And of course, I don't want to turn the podcast into, you know, this massive Bible study today, but I will suggest to you that a good topical study of the security that you have and the love and the grace. And of course, the context for all of this is for Christians, people that are in covenant with God through the blood of Jesus, it cannot be removed. And it's not just an emotional fondness that God has for you. It's a covenantal love. 
It's that Genesis 15 picture where God's making covenant with Abram and God fulfills the walking between the pieces of the sacrificial animal. And what that says, God is saying in that covenant, you can read about it in Genesis 15, when he moves in between the pieces of the sacrificed animals that ratify the love covenant that he has with Abraham. When God moves between them, he's saying, if I ever break this covenant, let me be dead like these animals. That's the strength of the covenant. God could swear by nothing greater than himself. So he swore on himself that he would never break covenant. And we have that covenant secured in Jesus Christ. So you may need to wrestle with it, but don't wrestle with it because you can't understand it. You may wrestle with it because you can't receive it. But it's not hard to understand. God just made up his mind somewhere in eternity past that he's going to set his eternal love on you and nothing done in you, around you, for you, or by you could ever break that love. And so when you study it out in the New Testament, you also find out that there's nothing you could do to make God love you less. And so I want to walk through this because I meet people all the time who wrestle with this concept. I don't feel like God loves me. I don't see how God could love me. The things that I have done make it very unlikely that God could ever love me or anybody like me. And most of that feeling, and I get it, I'm, I'm not a stranger to that. And I had a really, really rough background before I got saved. And, you know, by the grace of God, I was excited to find out that he loved me. I didn't run from that. I keep running deeper into it because I need it. I need to know that his grace-based love is not conditioned on me earning it because it's too valuable. You can never earn it. That's why God had to decree that he puts it on you. I put my love on you. That's his decree. So when you go through the verses I just read from Romans 8, again, that question is what could separate us from the love of Christ? And I like what Paul highlights there. It gives you some, you know, some things that could probably threaten our sense of God's love for us. He starts with tribulation, that, that interesting Greek word, thalipsis, the shaking, the volatile shaking, the problematic trouble that hits the Christian's life. Nobody's immune from it. Christianity does not insulate you from trouble. If somebody taught you that it does, not all trouble. Well, granted, there is protection. We'll get to heaven and we'll find out just how much trouble God shielded us from by his providence and his sovereign protection. But it, there's nowhere in the Bible that tells you that if you are in Christ, you will never suffer. It's not in the Bible. It's in a lot of bad theology, but it's not in the Bible. And as a matter of fact, you're promised the exact opposite. Through much tribulation, you enter into the kingdom of God. Man's days are full of trouble as the sparks fly upward and then you read through the Psalms and you find out that the man after God's own heart wrote a lot about trouble and if you really need an example I just want to suggest to you everybody you admire in scripture they all had bad bad trouble all of them and the one the king on the throne in heaven the son of God Jesus Christ the Lord even he wasn't spared from trouble so when tribulation hits you you can't be shocked I'm not saying it's easy but you can't be shocked because you were told ahead of time you're gonna have trouble all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's part of the list too. Tribulation, distress, persecution. Those are all external things that happen to us. 
And a lot of times when we go through a season when things are happening to us that are crushing, they're suffocating, they just whittle us down, they numb us, they ambush us, they scare us. When those things happen, like crashing waves, there is a very common response among true Christians, which is, how can this be happening? Is God angry with me? Is he punishing me? Did I do something to cause him to cease loving me? Because I think if he loved me, none of this bad stuff could ever happen to me. And you know, that's... um. It's more of a philosophy than it is a theology. And it's a bad theo- uh, philosophy because it's not rooted in truth. So I don't want to run a tangent here, but you just need to expect trouble. And, you know, one of the questions my precious mother-in-law, before she went home to be with the Lord, she when she was raising Amy and Amy's brother and bad stuff would happen, um, she taught them to say, hold on a second, I'm actually going to sneeze, hold on. <coughs> yeah. We don't edit nothing around here. We're just even leaving in the sneezes this go around. All right, back to what I was saying. Amy's mom, Deborah, taught her kids when trouble hits to ask this question. Why not me? You know, the normal question is, why me? How did this happen to me? Why not you? Because we often have a false sense that God has somewhere in some mysterious, unknown, undiscovered verse in the Bible promised that if you get saved, you'll never have trouble. It's just not there. So when trouble and distress and persecution hits people, many people, it's very common. They just wonder, what have I done to make God quit loving me? Well, you haven't. You haven't done anything to make God quit loving you. You just live in a world that is full of the curse. And sometimes the curse splashes on you. It hits you. Now, I want to go ahead and say this, and I'll touch on this before we wrap up here in a little bit. Um, the truth of the matter is uh, you are going to eventually and eternally escape all trouble. Good news. You, you, the reason why you long for a trouble-free existence is because heaven is birthed in your heart. And the very Spirit of God who lives inside of you knows that he is taking you into a place of eternal bit, bliss and paradise a place where there is no sickness, no affliction, no suffering, no pain, no regret, no sin. You're headed there. Hallelujah. You're going to get there by the blood of Jesus. You're going to get there. But you, you, you have heaven born in your heart, so you long for that reality. And the problem is, is you're not there yet. And so you've got to, that's why we're called so many times in the scripture to press on, to endure, to uh, remain faithful, to not lose the hope that we've been anchored in. We just keep pressing into all of what he has promised. But in the meantime, when tribulation hits you, do you wonder if God still loves you? When distress hits you, do you wonder about God's love? When persecution might find you, I'm in the USA, we don't really get persecuted too much here yet. They, get, they make fun of us and stuff, and they think we're idiots, but they don't really persecute us yet. That'll come. And there's going to be a lot of a rude awakening by shallow pseudo-Christians that are going to say, wait a minute, I'm suffering for my faith. I, I'm not going to go through all of this and call myself a Christian. The suffering's not worth it, and they'll prove that they were never born again. But for those that are born again, none of what you go through can be interpreted as God not loving you. 
Now, many of you that are listening are, are saying this. Yeah, Jeff, I don't doubt God's love for me. It's very clear in the Bible. I'm going to take you a step further. Do you feel his love for you? Do you receive it? Are you resting in it when tribulation, distress, persecution hit you? He mentions also in verse 35 and 36, this issue of famine or nakedness or danger. That means when all the crutches are kicked out from you, like when you're not in a season of plenty, but you're in a season of lack. When, you know, famine and nakedness are not really something that Christians deal with too much in the 21st century Western hemisphere, but it speaks by way of application of when your resources go out. You know, you're not going to be naked in the sense of having nothing to wear, but when you're not wearing the stuff that everybody else is wearing, when your clothes are old, out of style, ugly, or maybe in a very real sense, when you can't put clothes on a growing children because you're broke, do you doubt God's love? What about danger? Like when we're living in a very violent, chaotic, terroristic world. And it creeps in closer. And as we approach the end of the age, it's going to be global. And when the Antichrist hits, good night alive, it's going to be global and it's going to be legislated. And so the question will be then, when danger and sword are abounding, do you doubt the love of God for you? You know, for a lot of people in parts of the world right now, this is not theory. They're living it. In Islamic strongholds, I recently spent some time with a good friend who is uh, head of a missions organization that is predominantly training in the continent of Africa, and they um, train African nationals in both understanding the Word of God and the Quran, and their evangelistic um, target is Muslims. And so they train Africans to go into Muslim areas and reason with people out of the Bible to win them to Jesus Christ, and very dangerous. And a lot of these people suffer persecution like we do not know. The, the question is this, do we still believe that God loves us when all of these things are happening? Well, Paul did, and Paul wasn't writing from some, you know, Hilton, um, you know, corner room with a beautiful view of, a, you know, sunset on the ocean. Paul was writing so much of what he did on the run in prisons at times, um, constantly persecuted by Jews and Gentiles. The devil hounded him. He had physical afflictions and um, like Paul really, really suffered and the suffering apostle Paul answers his own question when he said, what could separate us from the love of Christ? Could any of these terrible things separate us from the love of God as it's poured through Christ into us? Paul says, no, none of that can touch the love of God. God's love does not diminish, nor does it increase, by the way. It's at a constantly lavish, full um, torrent pouring down from the heart of God on you. It never ebbs. It never flows. It's full. And so Paul says, in all these things, in all the things that I just went through, all the tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, all of the bad stuff, all of the suffering, all of the pain, all of the loss, all of the not yets, Paul says, no, don't even think that God's love is being touched. He says, as a matter of fact, in all these things, in all of these things, we're more than conquerors. We're hyper conquerors, as the Greek would indicate. And it's through him who loved us. Paul says, oh no, when you're going through all that you're going through, don't even pause to doubt the love of God because the very God who allowed these things to happen is the God who loves you, who's 
teaching you what it means to be an overcomer. Everybody likes to talk about overcoming. Everybody likes to talk about breakthrough. But you got to think about what we're saying when we use these terms. If you're going to overcome, you must have to undergo. How do you overcome if you presume to never undergo? Um, When you're talking about breakthrough, what are you breaking through? The very concept of these terms that we use in our songs and our sermons and our little Christian cliches, the very concept contained in those terms guarantees there it necessitates that there must be opposition to you there must be something to break through there must be something to overcome and yet when when these realities hit us and i'm not saying you necessarily but i'm talking to us about us i'm talking about the body of christ the christian church especially in america it's like people freak they're like i can't believe tragedy found me And I'm not making light of anybody's tragedy. What I'm doing is exposing the audacity that a lot of Christians live with, that they can, they can give lip service to the fact that Christians suffer, but it's always out there somewhere. And when it lands in your mailbox at your front door in your home, you know, a lot of Christians I've just seen, I've seen dozens and dozens of Christians praise God, serve God and love God until trouble hits. And then they're like, God must not love me. And if God's not going to love me enough to keep the bad stuff away, then I'm taking my ball and going home. That's not Christianity. That's not faith. That is a conditional bargaining system of religion where somebody thought, I will serve and trust and love God as long as he guarantees these things in my life. And that is not a saving faith. That is a propped up uh, Bible Belt version of some Christianized Uh, negotiations that somebody thought they had with God. Because friends, um, the love of God, the promises of God, the truth of God, the indwelling Holy Spirit are sufficient to bring you through the storm. You're going to break through, but it's hard to get breakthrough. It's hard to overcome if we don't have confidence that the God who allowed the storms is the God who loves us unconditionally. That's why Paul could say, I am certain, that's verse 38 of Romans 8, I'm certain that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, and again, that is a reference to the fallen angelic realm, the demonic realm, Angels nor rulers, the highest ranking demons can't separate you from God's love. They try, but they can't unless you come into agreement with them. And even then, it's only in your mind. It's not the actuality. Even when you don't believe God loves you, child of God, he does. Even when you don't feel that God loves you, he does. And sometimes you have to faith your way into that reality instead of trying to feel your way into that reality. My faith always leads my feelings. When I say always, it doesn't mean I'm not susceptible to having a bad moment. But I'm just saying the normal trajectory of the Christian life is faith looks back over its shoulder and says, feelings, get in line behind me. I'll take us where we need to go. In a shallow and up and down kind of roller coaster Christian life, feelings are in the front. And feelings look back over faith and say, I'm going to run this zigzaggy pathway. I hope you can keep up. But if you can, it doesn't matter because I'm feelings and feelings don't need faith. I want to, I want to 
determine the trajectory of this Christian's life. Paul goes on to say, things present nor things to come. So present troubles can't remove the love of God, nor your anxiety over what might come in the future. And nothing, nothing's going to rob you. Like, good night. If you can just, if you can imbibe this, you win. You're victorious. You are triumphant. You are the overcoming, hyper-conquering Christian. Nothing can separate you from the very thing that your life is founded upon, which is the covenantal love of God for you. Like, it can't be taken away from you by the highest-ranking demon, Satan himself. So you've got to decide, what am I believing? Am I believing the truth of the Word of God, or am I believing what I feel, or am I believing some false sense of what I believe to be true? Paul goes on, he says, nor anything else in all creation can separate you from the love of God. So it's like, hey, Paul's like, um, if I left anything off the list, let me just cover it all by saying nothing in creation can separate me from the love of Christ. That's pretty awesome. So what are you thinking and what are you feeling? Have you done a heart check? Like seriously, if you're broke, do you think that that affects um, God's love for you? And if your answer is theologically, no, of course it doesn't affect God's love for me. Does it affect your sense of God's love for you? Do you feel as confident in the goodness of God toward you when you're broke as you do when you've got a lot of money? What about when you're afflicted or sick or injured? Is he still good? Do you still know that he loves you? Suffering has a way. I mean, it is, it is tenacious how the enemy tries to use suffering to accuse God's goodness to us. Um, y'all know my story. A lot of you do. My family's had a ton of suffering, ton of it. I know it, way more people that have suffered way, at way higher levels, but I'm just saying I'm living my story. Our family's living our story. We've lost a lot. We've endured a lot. I don't want you sending me flowers. I'm feeling really, really good about where I am with Jesus. I'm just saying it hasn't been easy. It's not supposed to be. Why not me? And so when suffering hits and hunkers down and stays, the the enemy slips in. And on day one, you're like, get behind me, Satan. You're not going to accuse God to me. My God loves me in the name of Jesus. I'm going to overcome this. This is not going to be my story. I I have overcome. I am healed. I will get my breakthrough. Hallelujah. And we, we do it. We declare it. And we're sincere and everything. And then four months go by and that thing has not moved. In fact, it, sometimes it gets worse. And the devil comes back and he's like, are you sure about this? Are you sure that God loves you? Are you sure this Christianity is real? Are you sure you can trust the Bible? Are you sure all those Christians aren't just fakes and you're just one more idiot who has bought into this 2,000-year-old lie about this one named Jesus? And whereas you were strong four months ago, you start hearing the voice of the Lord, um, excuse me, the voice of the enemy. And if you're not careful, you start saying, yeah, this doesn't feel just. This isn't fair. And you start negotiating internally and the devil's like, yeah, keep asking those questions. I've got all the answers you need. And I've seen a lot of people who start out robustly when things are going great in life and they can't overcome struggles and suffering. It's because they had a negotiated faith. They never died. Dead people don't fear dying. When, when you are, it's Colossians chapter three, you're, you are dead. Colossians chapter three, read the, read the first three verses. <laughs> Colossians chapter three says, you are dead and your life is hid with Christ 
in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then will you appear also with him in glory. But don't miss the first part. You, you died when you came to Jesus. And if you didn't die when you come to Jesus, that means you still think in some level that God owes you something. And what he gave you was the thing that you definitely didn't deserve, which was forgiveness, grace, love, mercy, pardon, and eternal life. You didn't deserve that. The thing you did deserve was death and hell. That's what you deserved and I deserved by our sin. We offended a holy God. What we deserve because of that is the wages of sin is death. We deserve death and hell. And he didn't give us that. And so when we came to Christ, we laid our lives down. We died. We said, we have nothing. We are nothing without you. We trust you. We come to you. We lay ourselves down. He said, pick up your cross daily. Follow me. And so we die to ourselves. And yet when trouble hits, it'll prove whether or not you're dead. Because if you're dead, you may have to wrestle through the emotions of it, but you will not wrestle with the truth, the bedrock foundational truth of whether or not God is good to you or not. So these, these are intense things, right? But Christianity is supposed to be intense. Can, can I be bold here? Not like I haven't been for most of this podcast, but let me, let me be bold. If you entered into Christianity thinking it was a casual add-on to the rest of your life that you were going to dictate and frame up and live the way you wanted to live, I doubt you're saved. I don't, I don't want to be ugly about that. And I don't have a single individual in mind. It's the spirit. It's a deceptive spirit that says to people, and by the way, this is propagated in a lot of easy believism, a lot of hyper evangelistic zeal at pray this prayer, ask Jesus into your heart. You're going to go to heaven when you die. And those kind of evangelistic invitations are incomplete because the actual call to Christ is, is deny yourself, take up your cross every day, and follow him wherever he leads. That's a whole lot different than ask Jesus into your heart so you can go to heaven when you die. And so if you've added Christianity to your life, because that's the box that you check when you're filling out a job application or some kind of you know, online form, you know, what's your religion? I'm a Christian. Um, then you're probably not as rooted in the love of God as you need to be. And you can be. But friend, if you're still running the show and negotiating what Jesus needs to do for you in order for you to be confident in his love and then to love him back and trust him, now's the time. Now's the time to get this stuff straight because we're getting close to the finish line. So what about those? I'm a fin- I have to finish somewhere. I'm not going to do a fourth session. I love this topic. I could literally go on and on and on, but I think uh, three 35-minute sessions are enough. So um, let me end it with this thought. What about those who are struggling to believe God could love them because of their sin? What about struggles morally, behaviorally, attitudinally, relationally? Could God love us when we are strugglers? I want to tell you something in a very real sense. God loves even unbelievers. It's not a covenantal love, but he's a merciful, compassionate God who loves. It's not a love that saves the general love of God does not save from sin. 
For everyone who is saved from sin, they have partaken of the love of God. But just because God loves a person doesn't mean that he is in covenant with them. Because to be in covenant with God requires faith. There is a unique love that God has for his own children who are born unto him through the spirit of adoption in the blood of Jesus. And when you, as a child of God, say something, do something, think something that is sinful, do you have the kind of faith that says, God's love for me has not diminished? Now, you only need to hear what I'm saying. Don't argue from what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God is indifferent to sin in the life of one of his children. I didn't say that. I'm sticking to the topic at hand. Is his covenantal love still intact when we fail him? Well, guys, I want to tell you, God's love has never been conditioned on you deserving it. God's love has never been for sale so that you could work for it or work to get it back. God's love is not a response to anything lovable in you. That'll humble you. No, seriously, God's love does not increase, nor does it diminish based on what is happening in your life. How can this be true? Well, because scripture teaches that God is love. So God's love motivates him in all of his activity towards you. By the way, God's love for you is what Satan will tempt you most often and most deeply to despair over. The, the reason why Satan moves in as soon as we say something, think something, or do something that is sinful, he moves in because in that moment, we know there's, there's no bargaining chips here. We just did something to offend the holiness of God. And Satan rushes in and he's like, God can't love you because you just said that. God can't love you because you just did that. God can't love you because you just thought that. He rushes in. He, it may not be him personally because he's not omnipresent, but the demonic realm, their primary ministry is accusation. So they accuse God's love to you. Then they accuse your willing worth, your, your worth to yourself. But here's the beauty of it. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. So if when we were still in a sinful, unredeemed position in life, if then when we clearly had nothing that pleased God because we were lost and we were self-centered and rebellious people, if then God's love was so strong when we least deserved it, why do you think after coming into covenant with him that he would then back off of that commitment to you? He didn't love you because you were lovable. He didn't love you because you earned it. He didn't start loving you because you were an awesome specimen of humanity. He loved you because he chose to love you. And when you responded to that love in faith and accepted his son, Jesus, you're in covenant with him. It's not some judicial technical. God's love is not a judicial technicality. It's a relational invitation. He's not a judge sitting up there like, you know, American Idol where they've got all the power and they're looking at somebody who's just performed and their, their whole job is, did that person perform well enough to move to the next level with us? So silly, that is not how God operates. It's not some judicial technicality. It's a relational invitation that he's so serious about that he died so that it would be real to you. And so when you come to terms with God's love for you, it should foster rest in your spirit. It'll soak your mind with peace. 
like God's love will still your heart when all of the storms of life are pounding around you. If you will receive the truth that he loves you and he'll never stop loving you. It's his love for you is more protective than a father's love. It's more deep than a spouse's love. It's more pure than like a, a your, your child's love. It's more constant than a good mother's love. God's love blows all those things away. It always, God, God's love will always give you what is best. And it'll also, hear me on this, it not only gives you what's best, but God's love will ensure that he removes everything from you that impedes or obstructs that which is his best for you. In the end, God's love just is going to remain uninterrupted even if your love for him grows cold. It's unapologetic. It's grace-based. He's not ashamed of you. He delights in you. You are his chosen child. So believe this today as I'm signing off. His love for you is relentless. And his love for others. Please remember, because you've been loved, you must love. That same love is pursuing wanderers and it will always be subduing rebels and holding tight those people that are frantic or fearful. And God's love is relentless. It will win over some of the skeptical. God loves you. Believe it. That's it for today. Thanks for tuning in to Mavericks and Misfits. If you want to look at the archives, visit maverickmisfit.com. Check those out. Again, rate and review. Help people to find this. Listen, I promise you, I'm not an egomaniac. I have no idea how many people listen to this. Um, I just know that we get a lot of feedback from people who are listening that say it's helping them. And that's my desire. My desire is to get truth out there in a world full of tons of deception and lies, especially about God. I want his truth to reign. I want to help people along in their journey. And I hope we've helped you today. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us to reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget that you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.